Hey, New Life Church, Bronson Duke here. Thanks for listening in. The heart of our church is that you would know Jesus, that you would walk with Jesus, and you would learn how to live like he lived. We hope that this message equips you and empowers you on your journey walking with Jesus. All right, all right. Hey, uh, let's stand to our feet. Uh, We're going to read a passage from God's Word together. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that it speaks to us. God, it leads us and it guides us. God, we believe that you are the creator of all things. You sent Jesus to come and redeem all things. And you sent the Holy Spirit to lead us into life everlasting. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said? Come on, all God's people said? Amen. Hey, well, you can have a seat. Uh, my name is Brunson. Uh, I'm one of the pastors and one of the leaders here. And a- as Fitz said, it is five years we have been at 610 Maine, which is just crazy uh, to think about. And I, I was reading in my quiet time uh, this week, there- there's a book called uh, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction by Eugene Peterson. He wrote the message paraphrase. Have you all heard of that? He's got some other incredible works. You can check it out. Great quiet time material. But he said this, and it made, us, made me think about our church. He said, the people of God are tough. For long centuries, those who belong to the world have waged war against the way of faith, and they have yet to win. They have tried persecution and ridicule and torture and exile, but the way of faith has continued healthy and robust. Can the, the, the people of God said, amen. Y'all, listen, here's what I found. This is God's church, and God is faithful to his church, and God builds his church. And so I'm looking forward to the future and all the things that God has for our community. Amen? Well, the last few weeks, I'm going to give you a quick recap if, if you've missed. Uh, about three weeks ago, I preached a message uh, where, where I talked about how do we avoid a religious spirit? How do we avoid a critical religious spirit? And what we talked about is when God moves in our lives, one of the things that helps us move from becoming like prideful, puffed up believers is building up something called altars in the heart, right? So where we had idols, things that we ran to, that we worshiped, that took from us, we set up altars to remind us of the God who saved us. Amen? And last week, uh, Pastor Robert talked about having joy in pain. Who, Who remembers that message? Uh, oh my gosh, so powerful. Um, and we were encouraged to look back at Christ, to look around at each other's, and look forward to what? Anybody remember? What are we looking forward to as Christians? Glory. Heaven. Amen. And this week, uh, I had a friend text me a question. This is kind of what I'm going to build the sermon off of this week. He said, how do I practically draw strength from God when I need it? Isn't that a good question? I thought that was a good question. How do I practically draw strength from God when I need it? And as I was talking to him, I was like, for me, I kind of lean on my theology, right? So like when I'm going through difficult times, I look and I say, okay, I believe this is true about God, so I'm going to kind of try to draw on that strength. And uh, the next morning, I was talking to my buddy, Tad, who I, I write with, and we work on the sermon series together. And I was telling him my answer, and he was like, that's, that's an okay answer. Uh, and so I'm going to give you Tad's 
better answer for how we draw strength from God. I thought this was good. He said, we draw strength from God by remembering his promises and living into those promises. Okay, what does that mean? That means that when we're going through difficult times, we remember scriptures like what we read this morning, that he who began a good work will carry it on to completion in the day of Jesus. I don't know about you guys, but I go through times in my faith and I go through times in my life where I feel like a total and utter failure. Can anyone in here testify? Just me? Okay, there's a few of us. There's a few of us who are honest. And you'll, I think underneath this, how do we draw strength from Christ, is an implicit question of why. Why is it that when you're trying the hardest you can to get close to God, he feels the furthest away? I wonder if anybody's ever felt that. Why is it that one minute you can be so close to God and you can be in worship and the next minute you walk out and you get to your car and your kid won't get in the car seat and you lose your ever-loving mind? Why is it that I do things that I don't want to do? And here's the question I want us to wrestle with a bit this morning is how do we, when we fail time and time again, actually establish lasting trusting patterns of change in our lives? How do we break patterns and strongholds of impatience with our children? Help us, Lord. How do we break patterns of lust in the eyes of the flesh and greed? How do we break patterns of consistent outburst in the slow burn of anger? How do we become servant-hearted towards our spouses and our families when deep down we are, it's revealed to us every day that we are absolutely selfish? What's underneath these questions is this question. How do we become like Jesus? I think that is the, at the heart of every single believer. And I wonder how many of us, if we're honest, I think this is going to be most of us, have failed Time and time and time again at being holy, at being patient, at being kind, at being gentle, at being selfless. And the question we have to ask is how do we keep going, right? I have to wonder, as I was praying for you guys this this week, coming to this weekend, how many of you are discouraged in your fight of faith? How many of you are discouraged in your battle with sin? How many of you have gotten to a place where there are places in your life where you say, I'm just never going to change? And slowly we just start to compromise. Slowly we start to accept these areas, not as sin, but just a part of who we are. And we know deep down, God wants us to be better men and better women, but we fail. How do we keep going, and how do we establish lasting patterns of change? That's what I want to explore this morning. How do we set up patterns and lean into God's promises in ways that develop a deep, lasting spiritual transformation? Are you guys in? Are you with me? Here's the problem. So many of us have a self-help version of spiritual transformation. We think if I do X and Y and Z, I'll be saved, right? If I just do X and Y and Z, this stronghold will break. But here is the issue that's at the core of Christianity. 
Some of these things are so deeply ingrained in us, we cannot possibly break them on our own. This is what sets up, sets apart the Christian worldview from every other worldview. So here's the key. Here's what we're going to look at. We will never see deep change by, re- by relying on willpower. I hate that. <laughs> I hate that that is true. We will never see deep change by relying on willpower. We will see deep change by relying on God's power. And it is slow. It is so slow. And it is so painful. But it is so real and so lasting and so rewarding. So here's the formational truth, and this is our thesis for this morning. We receive the power to change when we rely on the promises of God. We receive the power to change when we rely on the promises of God. Uh, I've got a recommended resource, recommended reading for this morning. Um, It's a book called uh, Invitation to a Journey by Robert Mulholland. Uh, it, it is a like seminal work on spiritual formation and how to be formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others. That's kind of his thesis of the book. How do we be formed into the image of Christ for the sake of others? And it is phenomenal, okay? So if you like to read, read that. If not, I'm about to rob it blind. So I've got a quote for you um, from Sir Francis Drake. This is attributed to him. Uh, he was a captain who sailed around the world uh, in the 1500s. And here's what he said. He says, it's not the beginning, but the continuing of the same until it be thoroughly finished that yieldeth the true glory. I'm going to read that again. Let's take that in. Because I think this is a word for our church. It's not the beginning, but it's the continuing of the same until it be thoroughly finished. That's pirate language right there. That yieldeth the true glory. Um, I remember when I was about 13 years old, my mom, she bought me a Squire Stratocaster. Praise God. The guitarists in the house know what I'm talking about. I got a strap pack. Y'all remember those? Came with a little amp, you know, strap. And uh, I I started learning how to play guitar. And y'all, I would practice everywhere. Like before bed, practicing. As soon as I wake up, practicing. As soon as I get back from school, practicing. And I'm playing Iron Man until my family just cannot handle it anymore, all right? On the way to soccer practice, I was practicing guitar. Literally, I would be in the van playing my guitar, so focused, and my mom would be like, you have to get out of the car. We paid for these lessons. You were playing soccer, all right? Y'all, there were many defeats, all right? These defeats had names at different seasons. Smoke on the Water was my first First defeat, Stairway to Heaven, all right? Anybody? The guitar solo, like at the end, where Jimmy Page just lays it down. Back in Black, all right? Uh, uh, Then we have Eruption by Van Halen, all right? And then Freebird, all right? Lick for lick. Little 14-year-old Bronson is in the room learning that guitar solo. And y'all, each time there was a vanquishing through practice, and repetition, and over time, it got easier and easier. But here's what I've learned. It is difficult to continue on in things. This is the things that that beats us when we have no guarantee of success. Uh, I heard a pastor and a leader say one time, he said that 
the difference between people who continue on to succeed and people who stop is the ability to endure pain. So much of the Christian life is patient suffering and endurance. And what's difficult for us, y'all, is the ethic of our world, and honestly, kind of the Christian ethic over the last 20 to 30 years has not been a life of patient suffering. It has been a life of thriving. But here's the message of the scripture, that we thrive through suffering, and that through suffering, we become more like Christ. And there's a guarantee attached. But how many things in life have a guarantee? How many investments are 100% guaranteed? How many jobs have a guarantee you will climb the ladder? How many hobbies carry the guarantee of mastery? I have not seen one. But we have a promise and a guarantee in Christ that this life will result in glory. He will make sure of it. He is the author and he is the finisher. Y'all, listen. Going back to that quote from Sir Francis Drake, the glory is not in the beginning, but it is in the finishing. Jesus promises, this. I want to stir up your faith a little bit for personal holiness. Jesus promises us holiness in Christ. The battle you're facing, spirit-filled believer, he promises completion and peace and righteousness will be achieved through him if we do not give up. Galatians 6, 9. It says, do not grow weary of doing good. For in the proper time, you will reap a harvest if you do not give up. That scripture, what's interesting is I've always read that like, keep serving the church. And in a proper time, you'll reap a harvest. But if you read it in context, it's saying, keep battling your flesh. Keep going to war with your strongholds. And if you keep fighting and if you do not give up, God gives you a guarantee, a seal of the promise that you will have victory. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to build a theology of how we get there. We're, we're going to do some ABCs of how we walk in the victory of Christ. Are you all with me for that? Old Bob Maholland, as I like to call him, uh, said this. He said, spiritual formation is a process of being formed to the image of Christ. The difference between forming ourselves and being formed is the vital issue of control. Woo! That slaps, as Maurice likes to say, okay? That hits me. I want control. Does anybody else want control of your spiritual formation? The message of the scripture is that not that you will guarantee... Uh, victory by your work ethic, but Christ will guarantee victory by what he's done, by his victory over Calvary, by his impartation of the Holy Spirit. And by the time when he comes back in glory, there'll be a resurrection of the dead, some for sentencing, some for glory. And those of us who happen to be alive during that time will receive the fullness of our heavenly bodies and we will see glory with our own eyes. This is the promise of the scripture. Amen. Christ will give us power, he says. Power to overcome temptation, power to overcome anger, power to overcome a life of fear. And y'all, God's power is unleashed. I want us to go back to our thesis this morning. When? God's power is unleashed when we open ourselves up and we lean on the power of his promises. Okay? Let's jump into the text and we're going to build that out. 
So I want to look at one of the key texts when it comes to God's promises. It's found in the book of Philippians. We read it earlier. We're going to read it again here in a second. Philippians is about love. If you go into the book of Philippians, it's about deep relationships that are bound in love by the enduring work of God through Christ. In the beginning of this letter, Paul articulates a fundamental promise to the Philippian church, a promise that if they hold on to it, will never fail them when they feel discouraged. Does anyone in here need that promise? Discouraged like I'm not growing. Discouraged like God is not near. Discouraged like they're stuck in an addiction. Let's, let's read this passage one more time. It says this. It says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Verse 6. This is the promise. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. You know, this is a promise that God has worked in them, is working in them, and will finish his work. Okay, let's build this out. Point number one, if you're taking notes, Jesus began the work. Say that with me. Jesus began the work. Uh, I've got a, a quote from J.I. Packer, he's got a book called Concise Theology. And if you're looking for a book that is packed with biblical truths to help you understand biblical language in like three pages or less per thing, get this book. Concise Theology, phenomenal. Here's what he says. Justification, this is an important word. Justification is a judicial act of God pardoning sinners. God forgiving sinners, accepting them as just, and so putting permanently right their previously estranged relationship with himself. Are you tracking that? God's justifying decision is the judgment of the last day, declaring where we shall spend eternity, and it's brought forward into the present and pronounced here and now. Don't miss this. It's the last judgment that shall be ever be passed on our destiny. The last judgment, the last word, is the judgment that God has passed on our destiny. God will never go back on it, no, uh, no, however much Satan may appeal against God's verdict. To be justified is to be eternally secure. That is beautiful. Y'all, that is a solid rock that we can build our lives on. What does that mean? We're going to unpack that. It means that Jesus, if you think about this, this language is legal language, right? Judicial process, justification. The promise is, and the picture I want you to build in Scripture, think about it like this. Think about it like you're in a courtroom, all right? And you're standing awaiting sentencing. And the judge looks down on you and says, I have found you guilty. And the penalty for your guilt is death death. Just, let, just think about that. Like, enter into that for a second. Think about how you would feel if you're standing there and that sentence has gotten passed down on you. And then imagine that the judge gets off the stand and he takes off his robe and he puts his arm around you and says, I'm going to take the penalty for you. The verdict that I just judged against you, I'm going to take the sentencing. You know, that is what Jesus has done for us. He says, you go free, I'll go to death. 
Y'all, this is the only way to God. If you study the library of Scripture, you'll see. And I think if we study our own lives, we'll see. We are utterly incapable of walking in complete righteousness on our own. So here's the gospel that Jesus lived, that the apostles preached, and that I'm now bringing you today. We have received a divine pardon. In Christ, listen to me, all the crimes you hold against yourself, think about it. Think about all those things when you're on your own and there's a judge in your ear saying you're unlovable, you're weak, you'll never be strong if people only knew. Jesus came and says you've been forgiven. You no longer stand as your own judge. Other people don't stand as your judge. I'm your judge. That shame tomb that you've lived in has been unlocked. The stone has been rolled away. And Jesus says, you are free. That is the gospel of Jesus. Now, here's what's important. This starts with God's action for us, not our action for God. And where we get so messed up in this, when it comes to justification or relationship with God, is we start thinking, if I'm doing right, then I'm right with God, right? Has anyone ever, you don't have to raise your hand on this, but have you ever come into church and said, I don't belong here? If people only knew what I did this week, that is a self-help model of salvation. Jesus says you are justified based on my work. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his love for us in this. While we were still what? Sinners. Sinners Christ died for us. Y'all, this is the good news of the gospel. Here's the key. He gives you his son's righteousness and invites you into his family. He, he's adopted you. Just think about that. Like, your past, it's dealt with. You're his son. You're his daughter. Your brokenness and the scars you carry in life, it's dealt with. It's done. You're his son and daughter. I, I, you know, I, I, want a, I want to build a solid rock for you to stand on. For, for us to stand on the promises of God, we have to understand the complete work that Jesus did. We do not come to church seeking action-based righteousness. We come to church receiving the righteousness of Christ. Amen? Why? Because the Christian faith and Christian formation is not about achieving, it's about receiving. If we do not get this, you are going to live your entire Christian life so stinking frustrated. It's not about achieving, it's about receiving. This is the first promise we must cling to as Christians. He has pardoned our sin. He has paid our debt. You are a beloved son and daughter all glory be to God. Amen? So this is justification. That's the theological term. Another term, like if you want to think about this, oh, this would be fun. Uh, if you want to think about Christian, Christianity as stages, right? This is like your awakening, okay? Y'all remember that moment, like when you first came to know God, and it was like all of a sudden something quickened inside of you, and you're like, oh, I just want to know him. This is a difficult thing for us as modern people, I, I, I don't, I, I, this is me conjecturing on our culture. I don't think people really long for transcendence anymore. You know what I'm saying? 
Like pe- people don't necessarily naturally long for this awakening, but when you've received that awakening and you receive the Holy Spirit, oh my gosh, there's nothing like it. Okay, getting off my notes. Continuing on. Point number one, Jesus what? Began the work. This is essential. You're justified. Point number two, Jesus will continue the work. Everyone say continue. <laughs> Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work will carry it on. Okay, we're doing a lot of theology this morning. Y'all still with me? It's our five-year anniversary, so I'm just going to nerd out. You can deal with it, all right? So, he began, we're justified. He began, we've become, we've begun awaking based on his action on us. Number two, he will continue the work. Now, this word, the, the theological term is sanctification, all right? Sanctification. It simply means, and y'all, this is the best part, and it's the hardest part, and we're going to spend most of our time here. It simply means to be made holy. It's a bit complicated, uh, but a helpful way to say it is this. This is out of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. It says, sanctification is the work of God's free grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of the Son. And listen to this. We are enabled more and more to die to sin and to live unto righteousness. Okay, now we're going to get to the good stuff, all right? The good stuff of like when you're trying to be like Christ and you're failing, what's the promise you hold on to in this? Like when you're trying to cling close to God, like you're waking up at like 5.30 in the morning and you're doing your quiet time and you're like, God, I'm here, where are you? And you hear nothing. (laughs) Anybody else? We just have to laugh to keep from crying sometimes, all right? When we start this journey, I'm just being transparent with you. When I have my quiet time, I don't always get something out of it. (laughs) I don't. But as I keep showing up, there is a deeper work that Christ is doing. You know, I believe as Christians, this is where most of us get lost. I don't think that our era struggles to rest in the idea of free grace. I think we struggle with the difference between doing and being. We don't wrestle with the idea of free grace. At least that's been my experience as a pastor. We wrestle with the difference between doing and being. Between joining in the deep work of God and the renovation of our broken down souls and attempting to do the work of God ourselves. You know, here, here's the big, biggest difference in the sanctification process. It takes time. Everyone say Time. He began it, he'll complete it, but it's not immediate. And in our culture of Amazon can deliver this thing tomorrow, like the weirdest, most obscure thing you could order. I ordered some humidification package yesterday. Guess when they're going to be here? When I get home from church, okay? It's bizarre. But we cannot handle slow, patient acquisition of virtue. We want the slow cooker. We want the immediate. And y'all, here's the reality. In our journey towards holiness in Christ, it will never happen quickly. (laughs) And when it does happen quickly, when you have those growth spurts, it's because of the deep work that God's been doing in the background. And here's what kills so many people. When you first come to faith, things come quickly, right? You remember that? You have like this three-month process where you're like, oh my gosh, like I'm battling every sin, I'm in victory, and the only thing left is pride, and I guess I'm just waiting for Jesus to come back, right? And then you are hit with stone-cold reality, and your heart goes dead again. 
and you start finding deeper places where you have to battle, and then you find new strongholds that you didn't know you have, and you start going through something called purgation, all right? There's awakening, justification, there's sanctification. That's called purgation. It's where the Catholics get the idea of purgatory. It is the burning out of the things in you that are not like God. In their perspective, I don't take this perspective, but just to build it out for you, their perspective is for us to live in heaven, for us to live into the kingdom is going to take time. And even after death, we are so depraved that we're going to need time to have those things burned out of us. I believe that when Christ comes back and resurrects us in glory, that we will see the fullness of it, but we'll see how it plays out. Here's the point. As you go through life, you are going to hit wall after wall after wall. And as you show up and you keep joining Christ in his work, he is going to burn that nasty stuff out of you. But here's the issue. Here's the issue. Here's how we think through this. It's like when I put my child down to go to bed, both my babies, uh, twins, it's like me expecting in the morning to go in there and find fully grown men saying, hey, where are the flapjacks? All right? If that happened, I would call the police, right? But we expect to go from infants to being full-grown in the matter of a couple months, and y'all, that happens over a lifetime. Spiritual formation and spiritual maturity closely mirrors the reality of growing up and maturing in life. But we've been sold, I believe, this self-help, do-it-quickly model That has absolutely derailed our faith in the patient acquisition of virtue and becoming like Christ. Don't you remember the way your knees would ache as you were growing? Do y'all remember that? Like it just like, oh, just like this deep. Did that feel good? No, it didn't feel good. So much of our Christian life, y'all, is suffering and pain. Why? Because there is deep darkness within us that God is burning out, and it is painful. But here's what we know as we've battled. On the other side of that pain is beauty. On the other side of that pain is us becoming who God created us to be. And here's the issue. We live in a, in a, a late modern age, uh, in a post-Christian, post-modern world, where the world will tell you that true reality is found within yourself. And that if you'll just manifest your true self, you will find peace. But y'all, that is not the ethic of the scripture. And I believe that is one of the deepest lies from the pit of hell. The scripture says that deep within the heart of men is depravity. And my own experience of life has said that deep within my own heart are wicked, nasty things. But my hope in Jesus and the promise I lean into is that as I walk with him, I will become a more and more beautiful picture of what a human being can be. Amen? Jerry Packer said, God's method of sanctification is neither activism, that's self-reliant activity, nor apathy, that's God-reliant passivity, but God-dependent effort. So how do we lean in the promises? We're about to close this section on sanctification. We lean in the promise of glory by joining God's promises with our practices. Does that make sense? So when you're doing your quiet time, you're not quiet timing yourself into holiness. 
You're opening yourself up to God and saying, God, I'm going to meet with you, and I'm going to meet with you where you're working, and I'm going to meet your promise with my effort. And the hope of the gospel is that as we do that, we will become more and more and more like Jesus. Amen? Point three. We're going to close here. Final promise. So point one, he began. Point two, he's continuing. And point three, he will finish. He will finish the work. Oh, this part gets me pumped up. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Y'all, one of the most beautiful promises in the Scripture is that God has promised to one day glorify us. What does that mean? That as we go through this life, and whether we like it or not, a life of suffering and pain and disappointment and glimpses of the promise. At the end of this life, this life of purpose and battling, there will be glory and there will be peace and we'll be brought into the fullness of who God's created us to be and we will live in that fullness forever and ever and ever and ever. And if you go through and you study this out, do I have that quote in here? Gosh, it's so long. I think I deleted it. Trying to have mercy on you guys. Okay, I'll I'll try to uh, recap it. So basically, this picture of glorification is like a seed that starts, and when it finally blooms into the fullness of what it's supposed to be, there's some semblance of resemblance, like you can still recognize it, but it's more beautiful and glorious than it could have ever been. Here's to me the glory of it. I think we will recognize each other. I actually believe we will recognize each other in glory, and we will have deep, beautiful relationships at the end of the age. And we'll have full union. Everyone say union with God. So we've used a lot of terms here. There's justification or awakening. There's sanctification or purgation. And here we're going to use glorification or union. This is a full union with God in walking in holiness. Uh, C.S. Lewis, in his book, uh, The The Great Divorce, Uh, gives us an imaginative portrayal of hell. And I think this is super helpful. The way Lewis depicts hellish people and heavenly people after they died is powerful, okay? The people in hell lived a small, self-centered life. They obsess over small things. They hold on to resentment and bitterness. And and in the story, these people take a bus to heaven, (laughs) And their identities are revealed in contrast to the glory of heaven. They are thin, they are emaciated, and they are shadow people. They can't even stand on the grass of heaven because it goes right through their feet. While the heavenly creatures, these men and women, who loved God and were loved by God, and went through life, slowly becoming more and more like him, resting on his promises. They were weighty, and they were gloriously fully alive, fully themselves, fully radiant, and fully beautiful. You know, this is the hope of glory. This is the hope of Jesus. And here's what I want to encourage you with. If you're in a place where you are so discouraged in your faith, don't give up the glory is in the finishing. If you're in a place in your life where you've been fighting battles that you just cannot seem to beat, do not give up. Join God's promise with your practice and keep fighting like crazy. Because y'all, we are gonna be a church who run to win the race. 
We're gonna be a church. We are a people who God has called to run and chase and to fight. And you'll men, women, what I wanna encourage you to encourage you in is let's be people who lead our families with this kind of grit and this kind of resolve. And here's what I believe will happen. We're going to start seeing our lives transformed. And we're going to start seeing this weightiness that Lewis described, this depth that he described. And what we're going to see is a hurt and lost and emaciated world start asking us questions, as Leslie Newbigin said, for which the gospel of Jesus is the answer. I believe that this is the message of the gospel. This is the hope for every human being who's ever lived. And y'all, this is what God has laid out for us. This last promise is trying to tell us that God has done a work, God is doing a work, and God will complete that work at the end of the age. Amen? Let's do spiritual practice. 36 minutes. I thought it was going to be 50. Okay, this is good. We zoomed through it. Oh, man, I'm like, oh, they're going to be just dying to get out of here. Um, let's, let's get a practice here. Okay, so let, let's go back to the beginning. How do we practically draw strength from God? Here's what I want you to do. Okay, this week in your quiet time, what, whatever that looks like, whether that's the end of the day, I highly recommend the beginning of the day. Um, but set aside some time. Get yourself, you know, for me, I, I, I try to give myself a good amount of time in the morning. But here's what I want you to do. I, I want you to start going through the memory verses or just things. Listen, if you don't have these things, I'm going to give you another way. But if you, if you grew up around the things of faith, some memory verses, things, just write those down. Look for the references. Look for the promise within them. And, and look for the guarantee that that gives you. Okay. Now, if you don't have that kind of Rolodex of things, that's fine. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to start writing down what are promises you desperately need. What are voids in your soul that you need strength for? Where are areas where you've given up hope and start writing those things down? Hope for security, hope for peace, hope for salvation, hope for free freedom from guilt and shame, breaking strongholds of addiction. And I want you to get on Google and start typing what does the Bible say about, okay? And then you're gonna start building this Rolodex of promises that when you fail, you can say, I may have failed, but God never does. I may have fallen into temptation, but God says he meets me in temptation. He always provides me a way out. So next time I hit this, I'm gonna hold on to that promise. Are you gonna ace it and get it right every time? No. <laughs> but you're gonna progressively and patiently and painfully and slowly and beautifully start looking more and more like the sun. Amen. We're going to go into a time of response. And I always ask you two questions. What's God speaking to you? Is there anything that God's pulling on your heart? And if God's speaking, what are you going to do about it? Okay. So at the cross, we've got, we've got cards. It says things I'm praying for, uh, things I'm thankful for. I want to encourage you if there were things that God was stirring up in your heart where you're like, oh man, I feel defeated in this, or man, I just need God's help in this, or man, like I've got this child and I love him, but I'm just losing hope. I want you to go to the cross, write those things down. Ask God to meet you there, amen? In the corner, we have candles. Um, that's a place where you can just go do something physical. Pray for the light of God to break into someone's life someone who's far from God. And then back in the back, we'll have some leaders. Uh, if you need prayer, Jesus said, my house is to be a house of prayer. 
If you need prayer, you want somebody to lay hands on you, pray for you, journey with you, we'd love to have you do that. Amen. Stand on your feet. I want to read this prayer over you, and we're going to go into a time of response. So worship team, you can come forward. If you could, just close your eyes, hold out your hands, and we're just gonna, we're gonna rest here for a second, okay? I'm not gonna rush through this. I'm just gonna lead us into this reflection, and let's just open up our hearts. Come Holy Spirit. We bless what you're doing. God, the places where you're growing us and shaping us, God, I just pray that you give us a hope. God, return to us the joy of your salvation. God, help us build our hearts and our minds in your promises. We pray this over you. Gracious and loving God, you know the deep inner patterns of our lives that keep us from being totally yours. You know the misformed structures of my being that hold me in bondage just something less than your high purpose for my life. You know my reluctance to let you have your way with me in those areas. Hear the deeper cry of my heart, Lord, for wholeness. And by your grace, enable me to be open to your transforming presence. Lord, have mercy. Work in us, Lord. Give us peace. Give us strength. Give us grit. And give us confidence. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said. Hey guys, thanks for listening in. I hope that this message blessed you and it helps you in your journey with Jesus. If it did, leave a comment, leave a review. Things like that help us spread the message of Jesus. Uh, if you want to connect with us, the best way to do that is to follow us on Instagram at, at NLC Downtown Little Rock to follow along with the life of our church.